The text for our sermon tonight, again, Joshua 20, verses 7 and 8. So they appointed Kadesh in Galilee, in the mountains of Naphtali, Shechem in the mountains of Ephraim, and Kirjath Arba, which is Hebron, in the mountains of Judah. And on the other side of the Jordan by Jericho eastward, they assigned Bezer in the wilderness on the plain from the tribe of Reuben, Ramoth and Gilead from the tribe of Gad, and Golan and Bashan from the tribe of Manasseh. Let us pray. God, who did of old speak unto the fathers by the prophets, and has spoken unto us in these last days by thy Son, speak to us now in thy holy word. Make our hearts to be as good and prepared soil for the good seed of thy kingdom. Teach us to know thy will and to do it in all things. May thy Holy Spirit be with us now as a spirit of light and life. May Christ be glorified in the preaching of his gospel this night. May grace and peace be multiplied unto us all through the knowledge of thee and of Jesus our Lord. For his name's sake. Amen. Well, we're continuing our series on the six cities of refuge, and tonight's city is Ramoth. As we have done the previous four times, we'll use the same outline. Number one, the word's meaning. Number two, its theological significance. And number three, the New Testament fulfillment. So first of all, the word's meaning. The word Ramoth means height or exalted. The city was more commonly known as Ramoth-Gilead, and that's the way it's named in most places in Scripture. If you read the books of Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles, you'll soon find that Ramoth-Gilead had a much storied existence. Many significant events occurred there. Many crucial battles were fought there. This land was on the east side of the Jordan River. It was territory that had originally belonged to the two Amorite kings, Og and Sihon. Just before Israel crossed the Jordan into Canaan, while Moses was still alive, Israel went to war with these Amorite kings and defeated them roundly and took their land. The tribes of Reuben, Gad, and half the tribe of Manasseh asked for this to be their territory. After making them agree to help the other nine and a half tribes conquer Canaan, Moses agreed to let them have that land. The Amorites were vicious warriors known for possessing great iron chariots. When everyone else was using more soft, malleable metals for weapons, the Amorites were using iron. So this gave them a distinct advantage in battle. However, God nullified that advantage and defeated them before Israel. The territory was very well fortified and very well situated. The whole region known as Gilead was in higher elevations. Of course, high ground is always an advantage. No army ever wants to be pinned down in a valley. Gilead was known for a rosin that dripped from certain trees, and the rosin was famed for its medicinal properties. This is what the prophet Jeremiah is referring to in Jeremiah 8.22 when he asks, Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Is there no healing for my people? Because there were so many medicinal plants in the region, many physicians lived in Gilead. 
Jeremiah 8.22 is mourning the desperate spiritual condition of Israel. They could cure ailments with their doctors and balms, but they were completely ignoring the deeper spiritual ailment, the disease of idolatry that was destroying the people. Gilead was so associated with Gad that at least once in Judges 5.17, Gilead and Gad are used interchangeably. This land was known for its four great mountains, Abarim, Pisgah, Nebo, and Peor. And within this beautiful land of Gilead, with its healing balm, there lie the city Aramoth, a high and exalted place offering shelter and refuge to the humble sinner who sought to be saved from blood guilt. The geographical uh, information explains the name. It was a place in a mountainous region. It was high. So what better name to give it than Ramoth, which means high or exalted. The high elevation of the city made it an ideal city of refuge. Height always implies safety. From Ramoth, you could look down on all the surrounding area and see an enemy or the avenger of blood approaching. The land of Gilead was a reminder that the Lord provides all good things for the use of His people. And we must never forget that though Gilead provided healing with its balm, it could not provide the spiritual healing that comes only from the grace of God in Christ. And that brings us to our second point, the theological significance. I hope you can already see some of the spiritual lessons that Ramoth taught as a city of refuge. Ramoth means height or lifted up or exalted. And this is already suggestive. Think of the following scriptures. Psalm 30, verses 1 through 3. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave and you have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Here, David praises God for lifting him up out of the reach of his enemies. Notice also that he says, I cried out to you and you healed me. David isn't talking about a fever or the flu here. Last Wednesday, we probed at some length the fact that even in the Old Testament, it was understood that the true enemies of God's people were sin temptations to sin and the sinful world. The sickness of which David speaks is the sickness of sin, and he praises God for lifting him up. In other words, healing him of it. In Psalm 61, verses 1 through 3, David says, Hear my cry, O Lord, attend to my prayer. From the end of the earth I cry to you. When my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. For you have been a shelter for me, a strong tower from the enemy. Notice again the idea of being lifted up and set in a high place. The rock that is higher than I is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For it is he who is the shelter and strong tower from the enemy. In Deuteronomy chapter 28 and verse 1, Moses describes the blessings of the covenant in these words. The Lord your God will set you on high. Being set on high is clearly a metaphor for protection. 
When we have little toddlers in the house, what do we do with all of our breakable items? I know it's been a long time for some of you since you've had toddlers in the house, but I'm sure you remember these handy pieces of information. You put the stuff up on the higher shelves out of the reach of those stubby little fingers. And in a similar manner, when God wishes to keep his people safe from the grasp of evil, what does he do? He sets them on high. He lifts them up to a safe place out of the reach of the evil world. In our first sermon on this series, I noted how the Bible uses the names of these six cities of refuge as titles for Christ. And it's important that we keep that fact before us. It isn't just that the sinner needs to be lifted up out of the mire of sin and set on sure ground. The sinner needs to be brought to Christ. In every case, fleeing to the city of refuge was a symbolic representation of the fact that we must flee to Christ to be saved from our sins. Now, I'm not suggesting, of course, that, <clears throat> excuse me, that this was fully grasped by every man who fled to Ramoth. But if he were a true child of God, I believe he got it. He was acting out, <clears throat> excuse me, the, he was acting out the condition of his very own soul. I'm in danger from the avenger of blood, a man who represents God's retributive justice for sin. I must go to a place where I am above both the guilt of my sin and the judgment for it. In the same way that I must physically, bodily go to a high rock to escape wrath, I must also spiritually go to the rock that is higher than I to be saved from sin. You know, Israel's whole life had a spiritual aspect to it. You could not do anything without reference to the law of God. When a farmer was planting, the law told him how to rotate his crops, which portions of the field to let rest. When a man was hunting for a meal, the law told him to pour out the blood in the field because the blood belonged to God. When a woman was sewing clothes for her family, the law told her not to combine different types of material in one garment. You see, the overtly spiritual character of Israel was a tool that God used to always teach spiritual truth, even through mundane things. A hungry pagan farmer out in his field looks up and sees some animal, and his first instinct would be grab bow and arrow and see if he can get a shot off in time. But for an Israelite, before the instinct of hunger kicked in, he was forced to think of God's law. Is that an animal I'm permitted to eat? If not, then I must endure my hunger in God's providence and wait till I can shoot something that is permitted. Sanctification, as it turns out, is not some weird esoteric exercise, but it's something that takes place in the kitchen as well as in the church. By giving Israel such an overtly spiritual worldview, everything a person experienced taught a spiritual lesson. 
So needing to seek refuge and knowing that God had provided such a place of refuge taught you that God knows that his people are sinful and he has provided a way to deal with their sinfulness. Isn't that glorious? Another feature we should consider is how God uses the terms high, exalted, or lifted up. Now, God typically uses these terms in two ways. The first is in reference to his sovereign decree of election. Westminster Shorter Catechism question 20 says, God having, out of his mere good pleasure, from all eternity elected some to everlasting life, did enter into a covenant of grace to deliver them out of the estate of sin and misery and to bring them into an estate of salvation by a Redeemer. When the Bible describes this eternal election unto salvation, it uses words like lifted up and exalted. We read from Deuteronomy 28 earlier, the passage says, The Lord your God will set you on high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you. You see, election unto salvation lifts us up above the wrath of God for sin. It places us in the hands of Jesus, from whom no one may snatch us. Isaiah 40 and verse 11 says of Jesus, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm, carry them in his bosom. He picks us up. And he carries us in his everlasting arms so that we are forever safe. The other way that God uses these terms, and perhaps the most common, is in reference to the kings of his people. He always says things like this, I lifted you up and set you over my people Israel. In that expression, we see that The notion of being high or exalted has specific reference to Jesus because every one of the kings of Israel were a foreshadowing of Christ, the true king of God's people. And this taught the fleeing fugitive that he needed to go to the true king of the church to be lifted up above his sin and the judgment for it. And that leads us to our third point, the New Testament fulfillment. Think of the following passages of Scripture. Ephesians 2, 4 through 7. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is our Ramoth. In him we are seated in heavenly places above the world and above the reach of evil. Let's think of another class of scriptures that speak of this same thing. James 4.10 Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Isaiah 52, verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus 
who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the rock that is higher than I, our high exalted tower of refuge, because he, the once lowly despised, rejected, and crucified Jesus, is now exalted to be a prince and savior. Having been exalted on the cross as a suffering Savior, He is now exalted on the throne as the glorious King at the Father's right hand. God has highly exalted Him and given Him a name which is above every name. Jesus is exalted in heaven and exalted by the glorious family in heaven. He is high and lifted up. And those who by true faith are implanted into Him are partakers of all his benefits, as our catechism teaches us. We share in his anointing, hence we are called Christians. And he has made us a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that we may proclaim the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is our high, exalted priest and king. And the scripture says that he hath made us to be kings and priests unto God and His Father. He is high and exalted. And since we are implanted into Him, we partake of that benefit. We are lifted up high, not for any merit of our own, but merely of His grace. Scripture teaches that Christ is ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father. And the Scriptures we read earlier teach us that God has made us to sit together in the heavenly places. In Christ Jesus. And let's revisit one of our earlier passages, James 4.10, which reads, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and He shall lift you up. The man who flees to Christ for refuge must humble himself. He must deny himself. He must cast away all his own righteousness as filthy rags and rely only on Christ for salvation. The man who clings to anything of his own before God, unchrists Christ. Salvation ain't shake and bake, and I helped. You don't help. Jesus paid it all. Salvation is of the Lord. We bring nothing to the table. If a blood guilty man decided, hey, if they weigh my good against my bad deeds, I think they're going to find that the good ones outweigh the bad. That man would be caught by the avenger of blood. He'd be caught and killed so fast he wouldn't know what hit him. Fleeing to the city of refuge was an act of humility. It was putting yourself low and admitting that you could not save yourself. Your only hope was to flee into the rock that is higher than I. Refusing to humble ourselves before God and submit ourselves to God's righteousness is the surest way to hell. Now, it may wear a long face and act all downtrodden, but it's actually intolerable pride to stand before the thrice holy God and tout your own works, your own righteousness, your own goodness. 
You need to flee to the city of refuge, to Ramoth. Jesus set us an example when he humbled himself. So the scripture says, let this same mind be in you. Jesus humbled himself and therefore God has exalted him. Now angels exalt him. Seraphs adore him. Saints praise him. The church on earth magnifies him. And the church redeemed in heaven will magnify and exalt him forever and ever. How sweet for us to think that we have an exalted king on the highest throne of the universe. An unchanging savior and an ever-living, never-dying friend. When we are downcast feeling hopeless in the world, we can look up knowing that He sits enthroned in our hearts and over all creation is Lord of all and let Him lift us up. We can exalt Him in everything, our thoughts, our words, and our deeds until the day that we're caught up together in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. But all the same, He is exalted. He doesn't need us to, to, to supplement His exaltedness. We need Him to raise us up And seat us in the heavenly places with him. We need him to carry us in his everlasting arms. And to hold us up above the trials and temptations of the world. We need him to be unto us the rock that is higher than I. Let us pray.